You're listening to The Setup Podcast, a podcast that helps you navigate new topics in music, tech, and entrepreneurship with the most disruptive professionals in the music industry, turning their experiences working behind the scenes into actionable advice you can use. I'm Sydney. And I'm Sam. And we're your hosts for The Setup Podcast. If you're like us, passionate about paving your own path, hit the subscribe button on Apple, Spotify, or your favorite app because we'll help set you up for success at The Setup Podcast. I want to say a quick shout out to our amazing listeners. Truly, I created this podcast to help those who are new to the industry, just like I was once. And I'm very happy to learn that I can also provide insight to those who have been in music for a while. I want to give another shout out to all of our new listeners of the Setup Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Last week, Ariel Hyatt has been a fierce entrepreneur for 30 years, the founder of Cyber PR, and is the author of four best-selling books. We will be focusing on ways artists and music professionals can increase their influence over digital media and publications. Welcome back. I'm Sydney, one half of the setup. And as always, I'm joined by my twin sister, Sam. This is our final episode of the season. Let me tell you, we are ending it with a bang. How's it going, Samantha? Hey, Sid. Doing pretty good today. I'm excited that this is our last episode. Um, Not excited that the season ends, but excited for the fact that we get to have such a phenomenal guest on today. Tell us a little bit more about her, Sid. Today, we have Dina Marto. She is a seasoned entrepreneur, having shattered gender and ethnic glass ceilings during the last 20 years as a music executive and small business owner. She is the co-founder of C&D, the agency, an all-women-led management agency that empowers minority women. Prior to C&D, she found Atlanta Staple 12 Music and Studios and curated one of the South's most sought-after creative environments to develop talent and produce billboard shattering hits. Dina is part of the management team for TI and helped launch his popular podcast, which became number one on Apple Podcasts. Dina started her career on the ANR team for music mogul L.A. Reid at Island Def Jam, acting as an ANR coordinator for albums by Young Jeezy, Nas, Rick Ross, Janet Jackson, LL Cool J, and more. In 2015, Dina received a proclamation from the city of Atlanta for her contributions to the music industry. Today, we'll be discussing the role of an ANR, getting a peek inside a record label like Def Jam, and learn how to keep pushing forward as an artist. Let's get after it. Hello. Hi. Finally, <laughs> what are you guys doing? Good, good. Um, we're super excited that it's the end of the week, and um, I'm actually traveling next week, so I can't wait to get out of Chicago. How are you? God, is it snowing still over there? It's horrible. <laughs> You're stuck at home. Yeah, it's raining over here. It's how are you? I'm good. Much better than last week. I really appreciate you guys being flexible with me. It's been a much better week and just happy it's Friday. And after this, I'm just going to, I'm going to dinner with some friends. Well, I'm going to their house. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited to just have a drink. (laughs) 
literally. Yes, you deserve it. Um, and thank you for being with us on on this episode. This is actually the final episode of the Yay. second season. Okay, cool. I'm glad I could make it in. Yeah, we're really excited too. Awesome. To start off, what drives you every day? That's a great question. I really am driven by helping other people in their careers and like um, just just attaining their goals and their dreams. So that really brings me a lot of fulfillment. Amazing. I feel the same exact way. I love collaborating, love being around people as well. Yeah, it's, it's fun to, especially when people have so many, dealing with different people and their different careers and goals. And it's never a dull moment because things are always changing. And there's new, I guess, heights to reach. And it's, it's fun. It keeps it exciting. Speaking of that, we want to bring it back to how it all started. With that, we'd love to just understand how that happened. And yeah, so actually, I, I started in the music business. I didn't know a single person. I started at square one, had no relationships. And when I got to college, I was like, I'm not going to really listen to what my parents said. I'm going to like try to do this thing, right? I'm going to just try to go and get in the music business. And so I started networking, doing little jobs here and there while I was in college. And then I opened a PR firm while I was 19 in college, got a lot of nice high profile clients. And that's how I met L.A. Reed. And so he handpicked and hired me to be on his A&R team. And that is where I spent six years at Island Def Jam working on everything from Janet Jackson to Nas, LL Cool J, Young Jeezy, Rick Ross, and the list goes on and being able to sit and be inside of a major label to see how it operates, how it functions, what people um, are looking for, how you develop artists, how you get the project done, and also being able to be mentored and sitting next to somebody like L.A. Reid, who is a music mogul and a real talent in this business. And it just being around him and learning how to be excellent and, and to look for the cream of the crop and talent. Yes. And having a mentor really does matter. What was the greatest advice you've ever received received from him? I would say most. So what's funny is when I first met him, I, I was like, this is my shot to be um, an artist. I was thinking like, okay, this is my, like, I was doing PR, but all the while I just love to sing and, and, and songwrite. And so I kind of put, I kind of switched over to the business side and didn't go back to the creative side. And I was like, this might be my chance. And I remember, and not, and not to be, don't take this in an offensive way, but he was like, you are too smart to just be an artist. And I was like, interesting. Like that made me feel like there's more to this. There's mm -hmm. it's about building an empire. It's about being, having your business mind. And I would also say that he, he is, um, when he believes in a hit, he goes after it. And so just understanding that, like, when you know, it's a hit to put everything behind it. Wow. Okay. So how did you take that though? Like at the time? Yeah. At the time I was like, I thought it was like, like a backhanded compliment. I, I didn't know how to take it. I was like, what? No. And then I understood years later what he was saying, because people see him as only finding and developing talent, but he also does that for executive talent. So he's 
well known for creating people's careers that are on the business side as well. I like don't know him, you know, like on a one-to-one basis. But if I were to hear that, I would think that music executives would only work with artists that are a little bit more ignorant and naive. Um, So is that something that you come across a lot then? And I wouldn't even take it like that. I was, for me, it was more just like, you're not just one thing, right? Mm -hmm. You're not just one talent. And I think that our true superstars have a, they have a, they have a talent, but they have, it's almost like a, it's like it's a well-rounded lots of things that Mm -hmm. they have that are included so there's other factors to it's hard work it's how you visualize things how you um it's not just about just the music you know what Mm -hmm. i mean it's it's more Mm -hmm. to it than that so i think that i think maybe back in the day the way labels were set up they were just looking for people that were just going to sing and that was it but now i think artists have taken so much more control over their lives and their creativity and how they want to be perceived and their brand and building their platform. So I think it's just different. And that's a good point. So other than that, what are some other ways that you've noticed that labels are different from when you started? When I, when I started, they were developing talent a lot more and you could get signed as an unknown talent without having any following on social media because there wasn't that, you know, social media was also pretty new then. And you could, um, you didn't have to have like an already built up fan base necessarily. You, it would be nice if you did, but mm. they, they took more chances and spent more money on talent that was new and then they wanted to take a shot on. And that, okay. So that actually makes me think of a specific example that I remember and correct me if I'm wrong, if I got this wrong. Yuba Lipa was discovered without having a following and the numbers. And so maybe it's not as typical, but it can possibly still happen. It still happens. And I think it still happens with true A&Rs and music executives that can see the potential ahead of time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not like it's not happening at all, but just because of the digital age, it the labels, they got a little lazy, but they had all this help with online and social media and how you can kind of track your already built up fan base. And so they're using that as a guide to, to determine what they want to sign and what they want to spend their money on. Mm -hmm. Same thing with how it was with radio too. If you had a song playing on the radio, then you had obviously a bigger chance to get a deal than you would if you had just a bunch of songs that never came out. Mm, Okay. And that totally makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Because I mean, it's a a risk, right? They're putting money into your career. They want to see that there's a little bit of traction to be able to to get it done. But I think that helped like the true art form of artist development is kind of lost in that a little bit. So part of the artist development piece, besides, you know, digital presence and numbers, how do you prep an artist to be signed? So it's that digital, it's that, um, it truly is the it's, it's digital and it's that artist development side. So that may, might mean vocal lessons. That might mean choreography, stage presence, um, like working on practicing your stage presence, um, figuring out the direction, 
recording a lot to get to like uh, a good vibe and to know how you want your project to sound. And so like you, you want to do all these things in the process before really presenting to some, to a label to, to take your shot, to try to get a deal done. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's building up now. It's truly building up that online presence for sure. Is, is there typically a standard or is it, or does it really depend on the, on the record label? Is there typically a standard that you know that an artist is ready? No, I don't think so. Uh, I guess you could, you could base it on numbers, like as far as just their, their digital presence numbers. And also if there's any, there's how many subscribers they have or how many people listen to a certain project and stuff like that. So you, I don't know if there, there probably is like a minimum kind of thing. Since I'm not in the label, the major now, I don't know what they're basing it off of, but I know that there has to be, if you're comparing it, there's so many artists out there. So that's the other Mm -hmm. thing digital. It's, it made it very, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Saturated, Mm -hmm. super Mm -hmm. saturated. So like everybody's just putting out a project, everybody's online. And I'm specifically speaking more to the genre of music that I work in, which is mainly hip hop and R and B and some pop. So it might be different in country and in other genres, but like for what I'm talking about, you pretty much your digital presence. It's a huge factor now. It, you know, as we were going through the season and kind of, you know, kind of looking back and analyzing our other interviews, it's just so crazy how big digital and having that virtual presence and just being connected to your fans or showing that you're showing some kind of initiative that way is really part of the whole artist development and what people actually look at in the industry. And it's not just about how they sound or they can have the best technique. It's, it's truly amazing that this has become such a big stance, not yeah. just, not just your, your professional, your professionalism, but actually showing that you can build that fan base. So before you could only do that by touring or yeah. collecting emails or whatever it is, but now the internet has, is, is bridged the gap between the fan and, mm-hmm. and the consumer and the fan and the artist and the talent. And um, it's, it's a double-edged sword, right? Because it's great for the artists because they get to communicate directly to their followers and their fans. And the label um, is not the gatekeeper anymore, the only gatekeeper anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. And, but then also it can kind of go against you if you don't have that built up following and you're a truly talented artist. Right. Yeah, so it's kind of like they're at the mercy of the numbers. Um, and I mean, if I was, you know, wanting to manage an artist or a, or be a publicist or an A&R, it's, it is like easier to have that ammo to actually see what's going on. So like you said, it is a double-edged sword. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's just it's just our reality. And who knows, maybe things will evolve again. I'm sure one of the things that do remain the same is that ANRs receive hundreds, if not thousands of demos a week or a day. From your experience, whether like at the time when you're in it or, you know, who you're dealing with now, do they do do ANRs typically respond to demos or is it usually when they're seeking a specific person? So like 
um, do they do they really go with unsolicited demos? So when I was at Def Jam, we would always tell people we don't we don't accept unsolicited music. Mm-hmm. But if it came through that door, if they in that back then they were mailing CDs, right? So mm-hmm. if it came through that door, my boss at the time, the late great Shakir Stewart, who, who was the right hand to L.A. Reid and was the executive vice president of Def Jam. He would tell me anything that comes in this building, you listen to it. And if it's good, we respond. Now, usually if it's not good, you're not going to respond to it because you didn't even solicit it in the first place. Mm -hmm. The same thing with me right now. I've always kept that as a rule. So when people email me music, I have an A&R team that listens to that music. It doesn't matter what it is. They Because you never really know where that that talent or that superstar or that next hit song comes from. And so I, I just come from the, 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 I guess the school of listen to everything that comes and then you respond to the things that you want to respond to. Now I make my team and shout out to Sis because he literally listens to every single thing that comes in our email at 12 music but he responds to everybody just so they know that they're that it was listened to and it was responded to. And we try to give some feedback so people have something to take back with them. Wow. That's that's amazing. So basically artists should still shoot their shot. Shoot your shot. Nowadays, yeah. Wherever you are, you never know. If you're in an elevator, it's like the the, the one minute elevator pitch, right? Like just shoot your shot. But just don't be annoying and aggressive mm-hmm. in, in situations that are um not proper for this kind of thing. Like I've had where I know this is going to sound crazy, but like, I know people that have been like, they they might be with their dying father in the hospital and they would get like a CD slit under the door. Like, like people will go out of their way. I remember going to a doctor's office one time and they saw that universal music group was like where I got my healthcare provider and they were like at the front desk like where can I send you music and I'm like this is totally not appropriate but that's that's so that's so inappropriate it's like your emotional human intelligence went out the door and it's like they have blinders on and just forgot how to act with people I mean other than those weird scenarios how can they make it easy easier for you to be like I want to open this I want to listen to this so that's a great, great question, because you will be so surprised how unprofessional people send their stuff in. And so what I would say is if you're going to shoot your shot, research exactly where you should send it to. Be um, be persistent with the person, but don't be overly aggressive and just annoying, like I said before. But when you e- send an email, you got to let us know, are you a are you an artist? Are you a producer? Are you a songwriter? What am I listening for? Am I listening for the beat? Am I listening for the lyrics? Am I listening for the overall song? And then I need to know, like, what's your name? How do I get in contact with you? What are you trying to do? You'd be surprised that people literally will just send an MP3 and you have no idea what you're listening for. Wow. Mm -hmm. Like, be professional. Like, just go the extra step so that I don't have to go 10 more steps to help you. How many times do you think that, or I guess percentages, do you guys just not even do your research or if they, you know, give you something you're like, I can't do anything with this. If they'll usually email back and say like, what do you, what's happening? happening? We're so kind as to do that. But most people will not do that. Most people are like, okay, put put it in the trash. Like we, we don't know what they're, what this is. 
and that's my biggest pet peeve is when they when no one really does the research or, or understands what your role is. I get even sent links all the time and I have nothing to do with that and there's no context. And so I'm like, do you want me to like play this in an episode? Do you want your my feedback? Are we mind readers? We have Yeah. The what's your intention? What what are you asking? What's the request? What does the internal process look like or at least at the time when when you're there? With signing an artist, mm-hmm. but once you want to sign an artist, I mean, and that's a process in itself, right? Getting the whole team to like the artist and want them on board, then you start figuring out the direction of the album, and you start putting them with the right writers and producers to produce those records that you need. Then it goes through an entire process of selecting the best records. Then you take those records, you mix and master them, you put you you get it over to the marketing and sales team so that they know what what the product is. And so they can start figuring out how we're going to roll this marketing plan out to market this artist and this project or this album. And then it is it's a big machine like once. Mm-hmm. once but once you so the most important part, I would say, is the A&R process at a label, because if you don't have good music, everything else doesn't matter, right? The marketing doesn't matter. The promotions doesn't matter. The touring doesn't matter. The merchandise doesn't matter. It's a, you have to have that. That's the foundation of getting the, the entire project to be a success. So that's the really most important part. I mean, I would agree. (laughs) Um, Or at least to have a lasting impression. So I'm sure there are people that get across with like one hits, but it's not something that goes across the generations. How much time do you think, it, it, like, if you had to give it a percentage or an, in order to get the music in line, if you were to sign someone that's like very new, how long do you think that like arts minimum, development part? <laughs> six, minimum six months, at least a year. It, it takes time. People, you know, working on a project, you, you got to record a lot. It's a lot of practicing. It's a lot of improving and getting better as you work in the studio and as you're working with with um, the writers and producers that you're working with and collaborating with. So, yeah, it's a big process. And the other thing I want to say to that, too, just thinking about it is even sometimes the music might be really amazing, but the project still doesn't stick and it's and it, it, it's not successful at that time. And there's a lot of other factors to that. It could be the marketing, it could be the climate of just what's happening in the world, because even music is a big reflection of what the time period and what's going on. So like, anything can throw it off. I really think like having a hit song is like having all the stars aligned at the same time. It's almost like a miracle. (laughs) It really is. And I'm sure it's the greatest feeling ever when it does really well. Yeah. Exactly. Because it's like everything lined up. The label did what they were supposed to do. The artist did what they were supposed to do. The consumers did what they were supposed to do. And everybody's just in sync. I love that. Um, so I have one last question when it comes to the A&R piece. Yeah. While you were there, what were some things that you learned that you simply cannot learn by reading about it or going to school? So I think there you have like certain people like L.A. Reid have a gift for eyeing and spotting talent. And I think that and good music. And I think that that's something that you can maybe be trained on, but it's an innate feeling. I feel like I think that it's your intuition. 
it's when you recognize that it factor in that talent and you're like, okay, this person gives me a different feeling when they walk in the room. And I don't think you can learn that through a book or learn that through the internet. Like you have to be in person. And I've seen so many showcases and so many artists perform and so many people sing for their life, literally. And so it's an interesting experience to see how we internally evaluate everything for that talent to to just make the determination if we're going to take a shot on it or not. That's really, that is a really great point. So switching gears here, and we really want to start off with, you know, one of the more well-known ones. How and when did you meet TI and how did you know it was going to be a good fit to be part of the management team? Yeah, so this is a fun, fun story. I actually, when I was, right before I opened my PR firm, I worked with Jason Jeter, who was his manager at the time, right before he Mm -hmm. dropped Clap Music. So this is like, I don't know, 18 years ago, maybe 19 years ago. And so we were both very young. We we were working around each other. I like was helping out with Grand Hustle before it really even, they even had an office or a real label set up or anything like that. And then I, I broke off and started the PR firm. Well, years later, we, we get back together and, and TI comes to me and he's like, I, you know, I want you back on my team. And so it's kind of like a full circle moment. So then I got brought back on for consulting and then he was changing the team around again. And then I was brought on to his internal management team. And um, before the pandemic was traveling with him being, you know, helping with all sorts of productions that he was on any business meetings data is pretty much day to day management. And um, so we've been, we've had a history, we've been knowing each other for a long time. And so I think that obviously from that, there's a trust there, there's a loyalty there. And so that's why I kind of fit in the team because I've been knowing most of the team for a very long time. I mean, you've been in the interim management team for a while, but how does the relationship between an artist change between artist and AR and then compared to a manager? I think the manager is probably the most powerful position you can have in the business in the sense of on the like for the talent side, right? Because you really have the inside with the talent you get to help make big decisions on how things are operating and where their brand is going and what kind of deals they're going to take and accept and if they need to change the course and you know all those kind of things so i think i i really like doing management um i think a little a lot better than anr just because anr is definitely a lot of fun but it's also super competitive when it comes down to like trying to sign, like if people are fighting over signing the artists and stuff like that. Once you're a manager of a talent, whether that's an established person or an already uh, or an upcoming person, you get to have a lot of creative control and business control on how they maneuver and like their projects. So as an A&R, like you get to really have a hand on the creative side of their music, but like as a manager, you get input on that as well as input on their business side. Yeah. And I I think that a lot of that is great because there's a lot of accountability too and a lot of responsibility. So um, speaking in terms of his career, what are some of the responsibilities that you have? Well, it's keeping a tight calendar, (laughs) (laughs) which is a job in itself. Yeah. And just making sure that things are operating correctly, like everybody's in the know of what's going on. Um, making like just helping out sometimes bringing deals to the table, 
um, just really, it's really about, it's, it's kind of more brand management than anything else. Cause you're dealing with, so with, with, with tip, I don't just, it's not just me. So we're actually rarely a lot of music. Like when we're doing an album mode or we're pulling out an album, then it's more music intensive, but he has a big career in film and TV. He has a big career in um, social activism and real estate and different projects that he's working on. So it's always something different and you're always just making sure everything is aligning together for the ultimate vision of what you want to happen. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people don't really even realize other ventures of artists. Um, Cause just from discussing with you right now, I didn't even think about his, what we don't see necessarily or what we don't see or what we don't view him as. So like in, in real estate, for instance, or, you know, anything beyond that music. And so it's just interesting to see and just like hear that you handle so much more. Um, been recently helping out um, even through my new agency with his foundation, Harris Community Works, where we do in a lot of different initiatives in his community that he grew up with, uh, grew up in and on the west side of Atlanta. And then also I helped him. It's almost like helping produce, but producing and launching his Expeditiously podcast. Mm-hmm. So I was the I am the project manager for that podcast for him, which, you know, obviously is doing really well. So actually, now that you bring up the podcast, how did you help create that project? I can't take the credit for it. So it was um, a bit a business deal that came forward. And when we decided to um, go forward with it, I just helped with the with the planning of it, with the strategy uh, rolling out of it, um, even down to helping we helping come up with a name just everything, how it's going to look, what what is going to, what topics are we going to talk about? What guests are we going to have? I help book the guests, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I could attest how busy that could make you just with one project because yeah. I do all of that for this one and it's so time consuming. Yeah. Uh, we would sometimes record two or three podcasts in a week, you know, so, and with like heavy hitter people. Crazy. Like That's people. exhausting. <laughs> yeah. And then I get to listen to all the podcasts, make sure it's edited properly, all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, that's a whole nother job in itself. You know, <laughs> a lot. It sounds, like, it sounds like so many different jobs, 10 different jobs, 10 full-time jobs. <laughs> when, you're, when you're kind of, when you're on a team like that, you pretty much, you, you, it's all hands on deck. And that's actually interesting. That's something that I wanted to know is like, you know, you're, you're getting handed all of these opportunities how do you stay on track and not get overwhelmed with all with all the different ways you can keep propelling his career forward? So great question. It's for me, um, like I was always almost made for this position because I'm very detail oriented and super organized. I'm a triple Virgo. I'm OCD. And <laughs> so details are kind of what I do. But you, but so, so some people only look at the details and some people only look at the big picture, but I'm able to kind of look at both at the same time. It's about delegating tasks. It's about having a team of people that help. We can't all get it done by ourselves and being very flexible and like going with the flow because things change very rapidly all the time. So you can't get stuck on a plan or stuck on like we're supposed to do this today. And then, you know, something else might come up and we have to reroute everything. So you kind of just have to be very fluid. 
Yeah, it sounds like constantly too. You just have to have like some kind of second plan or continue like business continuity plan or something. You know, especially if there's so many projects going on at once. Yeah. And if um, I must, I must say, sometimes I think that I want to go the manager route, but I need to get over the plans sometimes change because I think that's like where I fall short. <laughs> I I'm an uber planner. I'm yes. very detail oriented like you, but when things change, I'm like thrown off a little bit. <laughs> and they change well, like in with somebody like him, they change a lot. And I would also say the other thing to management that I didn't get to say before is it's almost like adult babysitting. You're literally, you know, especially for new talent. I mean, it is a all day thing. It is a constant thing and you and you're called on for a lot. <laughs> wow. So kind of on the flip side too, you as a manager, how do you identify the best moves for an artist to keep pushing forward or the best moves for their career? I would say, you know, you look at what's lucrative, obviously, what's going to keep the the income flowing and, but also staying authentic to the brand and what their goals are. It's about them. Like, what do you, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What do you want to focus on this year? What is it? And you kind of just, you manage it by, by listening. And also like, you know, if something comes up that you didn't think about before and it's a great opportunity, like seizing that and making it work, that's pretty much what you got to (laughs) do. And that totally makes sense. As long as you keep pushing towards like a goal that I'm sure that, um, you and the artist identify early on or, you know, year by year, if you've hit something prior, because um, I think that's something that can be difficult, especially with newer artists. It's like, what do you focus on first? Because obviously, right now, you're not really obtaining anything that you want. So it's really taking those steps towards it. It's a lot about, um, it's a lot harder to do this job when you don't have an an artist or a career that has a like a real vision. If mm-hmm. you don't have that vision, like you can't really. You're kind of just shooting in the dark, and things go as it, you just take things as they come. But if you know, if you're, if that person is super authentic to whatever they believe they are and how they want to be perceived, then you're to make those decisions. Because then you kind of know, like, okay, well, if um, we get an endorsement deal, that, um, you know. For, I don't know, it could be anything like baby food. I don't know if that works. (laughs) You know, does that work with our overall goals? Is that part of our brand? Do we want to represent baby food? You know, I don't know. Like, you have to really like know what you're, where you're going and how, and how things fit. And you don't want to just take any kind of deals. You know what I mean? It has to work with what you're doing. Yeah, that totally makes sense. So, uh, but I'm very interested to know what would be a good first goal for a new artist? A new artist. Hmm. I would say number one, putting an amazing project together. And that is going to be your foundation. That'll be your platform for everything else. And also building your fan base. I would say that artists should really... Um, work on their performances. Like I think that touring should be your 
one of your bigger goals because that's where you really make a lot of your money and that's where you touch your fan base. So I think that um, just starting off with great music and building that fan base up so that you can perform and do shows. Mm -hmm. Okay. And on the other side, if someone's interested in becoming a manager, other than being detail oriented, would you say that they need to have connections and know others in the industry? Yes, it would be. I mean, it's really hard to just start from zero and you you don't know anybody you want to build it up. I would say for a manager that's that may be new, consider co-managing with somebody that might be already a little bit more established so you can kind of learn and um, work together because you don't want the fact that, I mean, you got to start somewhere, you know what I mean? And you don't want the fact that you might not have certain relationships to hinder where the artist can go or mm-hmm. help with their career. So I think it's knowing your place and what you're good at and then knowing what you can and can't do. That's a good, that's a good bit of advice, honestly. So switching gears here, I just want to briefly note um, your entrepreneurial spirit. I cannot believe that you started your first firm when you're 19. Um, I mean, on top of that, you have 12 Music Group and the studio that you sold. And then recently, all women-led management agency called C&D. That's incredible. Couple months. Like, um, we launched in September, I believe. That really inspires me. Thank you. Yeah, I, I guess I think... Um, so what I would say about being an entrepreneur is like you either you it's either you or it's not, right? It's like, I think it's in my DNA. I think because... My dad was an entrepreneur. His dad was an entrepreneur. And I think it's just something that I, um, I'd rather do than work for a system or something else. But I don't think it's for everybody. I know people always preach this like, be an entrepreneur. You can you know, start your own business. And I'm like, it's not that easy and it's not for everybody. So I, what, if it's something, if you're a self-motivated person and you're willing to um, really eat what you kill, then then it's for you. If you would rather have the, you know, a little bit more security and have a check that, you know, is definitely coming and you're in a structure system and you have a role and you know what that is, then, you know, then it might not be for you. I like that phrase I use, eat what you kill. (laughs) I don't think I ever heard that one compared to being an entrepreneur, but I absolutely love it. And i probably will use it now. <laughs> yeah. Because you it's all on you. Like at the end of the day, if you don't get it done, then the money doesn't come in and you can't pay your bills and you can't pay other people and it's hard. You gotta you gotta be a hustler. You gotta really be willing to um it's a lot of sacrifice. I'll tell I'll say that much. How did developing artists prepare you to developing your own business? Or was it vice versa? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, when I was 19 and I started that PR firm, I had no idea what I was doing. But I, what I did was I just, um, I rolled with the punches and I, I just, it was hands-on experience. You know, you just, it's trial and yeah. error. So I think that maybe the management of artists is also helpful to the management of a staff or a team when you're building a business. So I think that it's kind of similar Um things that you're doing. It's a similar skill set because you're managing people mm-hmm. all the way around. So uh, when we were just having these conversations about different projects um, for the artists, 
in my head, I just automatically was thinking about because I'm a manager at my at the company I work for. So I was just automatically thinking, I'm like, oh my God. I'm like, this is literally almost a one for one. You manage an artist just like you manage a certain client or a business that has so many different items in place that you have a team that you also manage to help that goal and to help basically make that project succeed through completion. Yeah. But the, but the, but the difference is like when you're managing like, like maybe a product or like a restaurant Mm -hmm. or something that's like tangible, it's a little bit different than when you're dealing with like somebody's mood or They just get up and they change their mind and they don't want to do anything that you guys discussed the day before and, or they're having a bad day and things just don't go as well. It's a person. So it's like, you've got to deal with their personal life. You've got to deal with their emotions and what they think, how they change their mind. It's not just as easy as like, we have this said product and this is how it's going to go out. And the product doesn't have anything to say back, you know, what I mean? <laughs> you have an opinion on how we're doing it. Oh my God. I love that. That's like real life experience that you can't learn in a book or in classes. So I got so fast forwarding to today to September of 2020. Love that it's that you are now focusing on an all women agency and also looking to empower other women in the industry. Um, huge, huge champion of that. That's why this season we're focused on women entrepreneurs. You know, one, we all got to sit together and amplify and, you know, pick each other up. But also, there's so little of us in the industry. So we really need to support one another and stick together. The whole purpose of why I started well, we, me, my business partner, Courtney, and I wanted to start the agency was because we both are, were in male-dominated industries for so long. Hers being in like marketing and branding, and she was in radio and, and sales and so um, and PR. So, But it was kind of more on the corporate side. And then me coming from the entertainment side, especially in the music business, I, when I, you know, I have never had like a a woman mentor in the business because I, there wasn't a lot of women, right? When I first started, I could count how many women were in C-suite positions or executive roles. Most of the women are usually in the administrative or support roles. And then there was always this kind of feeling of like competitiveness. You're like, you're being pitted against each other as women. And like, there's only room for one woman in the room. And I never believed that. And so I want to change that for the next generation of women. I want to show them that like we can work together. We're more powerful together. And I want to be able to provide that opportunity for them to work in a positive and safe environment with a women, all women team and, and collaborate our best skills together and, and give those opportunities for minority women that typically might not have that opportunity. Because of course, as you know, we're not promoted as um, quickly. We're not paid necessarily the same amounts and there is not as many of us in the industry as as the the our male counterparts you know it's it's kind of crazy because i think a lot has just shifted the mindset of just young women in general because even though you're not boasting about it or you know you're branding yourself and like showing the presence but i think just you leading by example just already starts the change is just just getting the feeling out there. And I think that's so important. And just in general, besides like entrepreneurship too, just women being leaders in companies or corporations too, also is just, you know, helping a stance with that. 
yeah, if you can see it, you can be it, right? If you can't, you don't have the example, then how do you know that it's possible? That's true. It really is. Okay, so we just have a couple more questions. And one of these questions that we ask everyone, just it's our favorite question. What do you want to be known for? I would like to be known for being everything that I believe a woman embodies, like kind, gracious, nurturing, loving, and still being a leader and still being a boss. I think that that's what makes us being a woman is our superpower. So I want to be remembered for for being all those things and still getting the job done. Oh, so was it float like a butterfly, sting like a bee kind of scenario? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. And then lastly, where where can um, our viewers reach you? So I am on social media at Miss Marto, M-I-S-S-M-A-R-T-O. Then I have my website. It's dinamarto.com, D-I-N-A-M-A-R-T-O.com. That's pretty much um, the the majority. Of course, my new agency, cndtheagency.com. So if you are looking for mentorship or an internship, or if you're looking for a job and you have great skills that, that, that fit along with what we have at the agency, then submit your resume and we'll, and we'll see. <laughs> Incredible. Also, when I see a CND, the agency, I think of Megan the Stallion. <laughs> <laughs> there can only be one, the best right. one. <laughs> That's right. We, you know, we, it was hard to like come up with a name. Honestly, we went through so many different things and we're like, you know what, let's just use our initials. It's pretty simple. Yeah. We'll just go from there and hopefully it sounds kind of cool. <laughs> it does. It really does. Okay. And uh, I have actually one more question. Sydney, sure. um, you always do this too. Because <laughs> I always think of one like as we're all talking, but or is there any one story that you'll remember for the rest of your life? Oh, there's so many stories. Let me just think. Not to put you on the spot or, or anything that comes to mind that's entertaining, because truthfully, I would love to know. <laughs> what is entertaining? I mean, I'm sure there's so many entertaining things. And it's like, when you think about it, it's like, what is entertaining? This <laughs> We go through so much. Um, when I built the studio, I built a recording studio. I had no idea what I was doing. And um I created this really great environment, I think, for like people to just collaborate. It was like a family environment and people literally I have so many stories of how talent songwriters, producers, artists would like literally try to live in the studio. And I mean, like find places in the studio to hide out and like sleep in there. And I literally felt like I was running a daycare. And I had to like kick people out. And it was just a whole thing. Like one time I found somebody hiding in the attic. They were living there there for like several weeks, maybe even like a month or so. And I was like, how was like, what's happening here? And it was just like, I was in the twilight zone. Oh my God. Yeah, that's gotta be a a different change of pace there. Like I can't even imagine what happens in any studio. It was a 24 hour job. Like you would think like people would want to go home for Christmas or Thanksgiving or New Year's. Like, no, our studio was open. 12 studios was open every day of the week, seven days a week. 24 hours a day. And I literally had to manage staff like for 24 hours. Insane. So you're like a landlord. (laughs) Pretty much a landlord. Yeah. 
Wow. Well, thanks for sharing that. I, I I love that we just ended with that. Well, thank you so much, Dina. Honestly, it was so great. Like we couldn't have asked for a better final guest for season two with women entrepreneurs and music. Thank you for your time. And yeah, we really enjoyed talking with you and meeting you. Yeah, me too. And thanks for reaching out. And thanks for all the support. I really appreciate it. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the Setup Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review the Setup on Apple Podcasts. And I encourage you to share this episode with your friends and colleagues. If you have any topic recommendations or questions, please visit us at www.thesetupseries.com. 